Hi guys, welcome to the Deep Learning Crowd podcast, episode two. I'm your host, Reese Luxford. I'm super excited about my next guest. Today, I'm speaking with Leon Zeely, founder and CEO of Presize. We'll be getting to know Leon and his journey through running a startup in AI. We'll be learning about his unique product in the field of computer vision and why he's decided to grow an empire in retail through B2B. We'll also be diving into entrepreneurship and how Leon has faced his early challenges. Leon is a young dynamic leader, business enthusiast and a top guy. I'm really excited about this episode. It's good to have you amongst the crowd. Sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Thank you so much for having me. Coming across you a little while ago, we had a brief chat and I felt like what you have been doing could add real value my market when it comes to uh, networking and just learning about what you've done as a business and what you yourself. So for our viewers listening, so what do you do? All right. So I'm the founding CEO of Precise and Precise is a fashion tech AI company. We help um, fashion e-commerce shops reduce their return rate by recommending their end users the right clothing size. So as an end user, you're on the shop um, you want to buy, let's say, a T-shirt. You're not sure if you need size small or medium because you have never bought the brand before. And then we walk you through a few steps. Um, we ask you, for example, for your height. And then you can, if you want to record a smartphone video of your body. And from that video, we give you a personalized size recommendation. Um, yeah, that's, that's what we do. It does sound fairly simple, but I know it's not. And there's a lot of AI involved. So what is your role at Precise? So we, uh, we are three founders. I have two technical co-founders. Um, so you could describe it as I do everything that is not product and technology, but obviously product and technology is a very big part of our business. And yeah, I would say, you know, I'm not a techie myself, but I'm, I just understand enough to at least uh, know what's going on and um, yeah, I can can figure out like what we should do next and, and things like this, but I'm not like, yeah, the, I'm not a technical expert in the team, but more like the generalist. Well, it sounds like, um, although your business is based around very technical and AI, you probably understand it uh, well enough. Um, obviously when it gets to the nitty gritty, maybe that's where your founders, other co-founders maybe step in. You work on two solutions. So one size recommendation and one is body measurement. What's different about those two? Yeah, so you could describe it as it's basically two halves, kind of. So the first half is we have this smartphone video of the user, like you place your phone on the ground, step a few steps back, and then you just turn around, like at, a bit like at the airport security check. And then we use that video to create a 3D body model, and then we extract body measurements from that 3D body model. And these measurements are essentially the outcome of the first product, the body measurement solution. You get body measurements. <laughs> um, but then the size recommendation solution builds on top of these body measurements and transforms the body measurements into a size recommendation. So you have 94 centimeter chest circumference, 32 centimeter biceps circumference, and then we use um, size charts among other sources to come up with the size we recommend for you. On top of the size charts, we also use transactional um, data, so return data from other users with similar bodies. We use other features like product material, 
the fit of the product and things like this. Um, but yeah, that's the second product. So if you want to have a SAS recommendation in the end, you need that product. If you just need measurements, there are other use cases where, where that is enough. Um, you can use the body measurement solution. That makes sense. So the question I want to ask before I get into how it's done is why retail and why this business? Oh, that's a long story. <laughs> so we wanted to do something with AI and computer vision. I mean, my co-founders are just, you know, they were in AI before it was cool, you could say. So they really believed in the technology very early on. And so we had this bias towards AI and computer vision. And we, all of us, wanted to become entrepreneurs. Um, and then, obviously, you need a problem to solve, right? The technology in itself is not a business. And we, I think, understood that very well, despite knowing, okay, we also want to work on a cool technology, right? We want to enjoy um, going to work. And so initially we had a very first prototype. We built it at, it's called CDTM, Center for Digital Technology and Management in Munich, which is this kind of entrepreneurship degree uh, where you have people from different disciplines working together in some sort of like a long term hackathon, you could say, solving a real industry problem for a company. And the company we were working with was in the workwear segment. So they were selling yeah, clothing that workers wear when they work in a factory, for example. And we saw how they're doing it. So they get an order of like to equip 100,000 workers from BMW with clothing. And then they are spread across, I don't know, 57 factories. And then they have to go to every factory and like either they, tr they have to bring sample clothing and they try everything on or they measure them with a manual measurement tape um, or they just ask them, hey, which size do you usually wear? And then they're like, yeah, last time I was medium. And then like, okay, let's try medium again. And they noted down with pen and paper. It was so analog, so inefficient. We thought, okay, there is an obvious application for computer vision and AI here. Let's replace the measurement tape with a smartphone video. That kind of worked. I mean, it took a few minutes until you got the measurements and then they were still kind of off. But then uh, that improved quite a lot, obviously, since then. And then we thought, okay, now we have a problem worth solving. We have a cool technology. We really enjoy working with each other. But maybe there's something even bigger than the, you know, this uniform workwear market. And then, I mean, e-commerce was kind of the obvious use case. That was 2019. So... There was this uh, bill passed that you're not allowed to destroy returns anymore. You have to at least try to resell it, resell it. And the whole sustainability aspect, I mean, all of us knew the problem. Um, like either we had it ourselves because we're online power shoppers for fashion, or we have someone very close to us that is um, ordering a lot and returning a lot as well. And you have like these parcels laying in your, in your flat every other week and... Um, yeah, then we just took the prototype from the factory and brought it to like people who knew a lot about fashion and e-commerce. And they said, hey, guys, if this is, works, you have a business. Our return rate is 50%. We would kill for 49%. And we thought, okay, I mean, that makes sense. Let's do it. And then we turned from this like research project into a company. Yeah, brilliant overview. It sounds like you hit the nail on the head as well. Definitely uh, an opening the market, uh, an issue that needs to be resolved and it seems that like, that's becoming your mission to uh, try and fix these problems and at, at the time uh, you're doing greater things for the world you know so that's uh, the big stamp uh, the dent that uh, this business can leave on this world so the main thing that I found interesting is so what do you think differentiates you from all your competitors 
Because there must be other companies doing something similar. To yeah, there are many actually. The idea in itself is not new, not at all. The problem is so big, many have attempted to solve it. We have two kinds of competitors. We have kind of the, the ones that started 10 years ago and they try to solve the problem with questions. So self-report questions, they ask you, do you look like person A, B or C? Do you have wide shoulders or narrow shoulders? And the problem with that is obviously, <laughs> I mean, we can see it in our data. Like if you ask someone who's like a, 20, like a 20 year old guy like me, I think 60% of them say they have a V-shaped body. Um, but the truth is obviously different, right? <laughs> um, and that is a problem because then it's yeah, very hard to recommend the right size if you just get input data that is you know, not objective. And then we have competitors who are purely computer vision based. So they usually try it with native apps. I think that's the first problem. Like no one wants to download an app just to scan their body once. It has to be seamlessly integrated within the user experience as a white label on the web. And then they usually try it with pictures because it, they can process them faster than a video. I mean, a video is just like a lot of pictures in a row, right? And the other problem with the pictures is it's not robust. Like if you look at a human, usually they have one frontal view and one side view. And then if you move your hand slightly or if you don't have the perfect posture or you don't wear super tight clothing, you have occlusions and the measurements won't be accurate. And they kind of expect users, you know, to change their clothing or to be in underwear. And, you know, that's just not working. You have to, you have, to have a great UX. It has to be super easy to use. And um, I think we understood that quite well. And... That's why we built this product, which is kind of combining the questionnaire approach with a video approach instead of a picture approach. So users have always the choice. Do I want to answer questions or am I uh, like if you're at home and not in the train, you can do the 10 second video. So I think it's the UX combined with the accuracy that sets up us apart. And you can measure that in like benchmarking studies. We run A-B tests, see if the return our return rate impact is higher than the others. And so far... Um, yeah, it's it's going quite well for presets, I would say. So just uh, in simple terms, product is you use your mobile, you set it up on the side or like on the floor. I actually tested this myself, and I'll let you know how I got on. So you set it up on the side, on the floor. You've got a, like a positioning gives you a nice uh, what, degree, so you hold it at a certain uh, degree. And once that goes green, that means you're ready to go. You then feel your silhouette. You stand in like your arms are slightly open. You feel your silhouette. It's very easy to position yourself. And then you press record or something, or you, you, you've already pressed record and it's got a timer. And then you turn and give it four views, something like that. Um, and then it comes up with your results. Is that sort of how it, in simple terms, how it works, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. So I actually did this. I think it was it for trousers or something. And it got the correct result. You know, I was quite pleased. Obviously, I've seen as you give like indications to make sure that your clothes are not too baggy. Obviously, the more accurate you're wearing your clothing, you know, it's going to obviously, if you're wearing baggy clothing, it's probably not going to help because she's going to do the silhouette of what you're wearing. But uh, so I had the right sort of clothing on and it was like, it, it worked perfectly and it gave me my 32, 32 for my trousers. So I was very pleased. Um, and then, yeah, so it, your product is clearly working. So what's, when it comes to the computer vision, the scanning, though you're not technical, I know you know what you're using. So what sort of technologies are you working with when it comes to computer vision, deep learning, etc.? Mm -hmm. So uh, actually, before we decided on a tech stack, um, what was always kind of 
the bottleneck is the data, right? Obviously, we use like uh, TensorFlow and PyTorch and all of that. But I think what was the most interesting is like, I mean, the, the bottleneck is, is always, okay, how do I get high quality and high volume data? And in the early days, I mean, we literally just measured everyone we knew by hand. So it was like... The, I don't know, my parents, uh, our first employee's uh, girlfriends, uh, like the neighbor of the janitor of our office and kind of like just random people. And we did it by hand with the measurement tape. We got trained by professional tailors. Yeah, two and a half years later, we now know the human is just not good enough at measuring. Like it's not an adequate benchmark, I would say, for the technology anymore because even if a professional tailor measures you three times, you will get a different result every time. But then in terms of tool, I mean, we are obviously a software company, um, but we have one hardware tool we are using, which is quite powerful. And that's a th uh, actually like a physical hardware 3D scanner. And I mean, this has obviously nothing to do with like the user or the customer, like there it's always purely software based on their phone, but we had to find something better than humans at measuring. And that was the 3D scanner. And it's just like, you're not a small device, but it costs more than, than a pretty good uh, car. And in the beginning, obviously we couldn't afford it, but then after the first financing runs, we could. And that's, a, that's an important tool. Like we use it for data collection. We have partners collecting a super unique data set for us with it. There's nothing like this in the world, not even like Amazon or, or someone like this has it because it's unique to our use case and unique to our problem. And I think that's the most exciting kind of tool for our computer vision engineers because it's just very powerful data. Yeah. So would you say that with the tech you use, has it changed much in the last two years since starting or is it quite similar? What I'm seeing is, I mean, obviously like our engineers, you know, they, they try out different tools and, and, uh, and software until they find the one that works best. And then depending on how far you are along in terms of maturity of your technology, that changes. And um, one example would be just like, kind of the, the manage, how we manage our sprints or kind of the project management is like in the early days, you know, it was super basic. We had Trello probably, I mean, most people know Trello. You literally have like different columns and then you have some cards and you move them along. And that was enough, you know, when you're like five people in the garage kind of in that situation, that's enough. But then you add more things over time. Then you have all these power-ups and add-ons and integrations and then you sync it with other tools and then we over engineer trello i would say <laughs> uh, a bit and now we move to jira which is kind of like the standard or go-to uh, tool to manage uh, technical pro products and r d but it you know when we started it was that big company tool yeah? like you use it when you're like 100 people and it's super expensive but now it's like our yeah our standard tool so that's ex one example one of the switches we made like at the time, Trello was perfect, but now it's not powerful enough anymore. So we have to move to the next tool. Yeah, no, okay. That makes sense. So when it comes to the, uh, the 3D scanning, so obviously you've evolved in the last two and a half years. So I'm sure you've come across some challenges when it comes to just scanning the body and getting it accurate. But what, what's, what's been some of the biggest challenges and hurdles that you've had to get over to get to where you are now? Yeah, I mean, one, one thing was what I explained earlier that we just... You always need a ground truth um, to train your models. And in our case, I mean, in the beginning, the ground truth, like this semi-professional, I measure my neighbor <laughs> approach was good enough. But then 
our model became as good as at measuring. And then the question is, okay, so what's next? Like how, I mean, we have to get better, right? And it's very interesting because there is not this one ultimate truth. Like if you have a human body, there is no person and no technology that can tell you this arm is exactly 64.578 millimeters long. And that was very hard to accept kind of, because I mean, it should be easier. I mean, there has to be some way to measure it perfectly. And then we tested, I don't know, a bunch of 3D scanners. We talked to so many experts. And then, I mean, we, we just bought the latest and most advanced 3D scanner we could find on the market. But I mean, five years ago, that thing didn't even exist. So what would we have trained our models on then? I mean, there were 3D scanners, of course, but they were just not accurate enough. Like you measure the same person three times, you get three different results. Like even if you manually extract the measurements from the 3D model, depending on how you do it and if you, I don't know, include the clothing and if you find the exact landmarks and, th and so on, you always get a different result. And I think that this was a huge challenge. I think we probably tried like... 15 different ways to recruit people to scan them. We tried 10 different ways on how to scan them versus measure them and so on. And uh, yeah, that was uh, that was quite a journey. And then I think evaluation is also um, not super easy because we always have this, okay, we produce measurements. Okay, now we can compare this to the 3D scanner and see, oh, we are very accurate and the most accurate in all of the benchmarks and so on we have done. But then just because you have very accurate body measurements, how do you know if you actually get to a very good size recommendation? Because that's the ultimate commercial benefit for the shop and also the benefit for the user and the benefit for the planet. Like just measuring a body very accurately is not enough. You want them to keep the product so they don't have to go to the post office again. That is the ultimate goal. Um, and then it's it's not super trivial to evaluate this because I mean obviously we are left with big customers we can we know exactly who keeps the product and who returns it and usually also what the reason is for the return but you never know was the measurements were the measurements maybe not perfect or maybe the size chart from the shop was bad or maybe the material we thought the product had uh, was just wrong because it was wrong in the database or maybe the person has just a very odd subjective fit preference. Maybe objectively you are size medium, but you really enjoy it when it's super tight and everyone thinks like, well, that's way too tight. It looks horrible, but you're like, no, I'm still medium. And the subjectiveness, um, because we're super data driven, but in the end, there's always some human component to it. And I think these are some of the challenges we are, some of them we've overcome, some of them we're still working on, but. Yeah, well, look, whilst we've been talking as well, I found something on your website, I think it was today, I was doing a bit of research before this call and I was looking at, uh, there was a statistic of how far you've come. So obviously whilst we're on the subject, so it, it says something here, where you've seen, when you built your first prototype in 2018, it was off more than eight centimetres on average. It now looks like you're literally like almost perfect when it comes to getting the, uh, the accuracy on, on the dot. So um, you've obviously, yeah, evolved so quickly in just a short space of time. Awesome to see a startup make such big jumps. And also, more importantly, seeing how much you've grown. So how many, as a company, how many are you now? We are 38 people now in terms of headcount. Yeah, some of them are interns and working students as well. But um, yeah, so FTEs, it's slightly less. But yeah, I mean, we were three people two years ago. So it it went quite quite fast, yeah. You mentioned 
mentioned as well, you, you do, like, you're quite uh, fortunate enough to have, like, be able to do a lot of research and development. Not many startups are able to do this on the side as well. What, what are you looking to discover without giving away too, many, too much, uh, maybe, secrets? But what are you trying to discover? One of the main areas of R&D for us is, I would say, we have definitely found product market fit and our product works in the sense of we can recommend you the size that fits you. Of course, not always, but I mean, return rates in Germany are 50% in the UK, 30%. You know, you don't have to be at zero returns to deliver value. So they are um, it's still like the problem is so big, it will still take time to solve it completely, but we, ha we are already solving a big part of it. So that means most of or a lot of our R&D efforts go towards the other question, which is not if it fits you, but does it look good on you, right? Um, so that goes more towards visualizing the product on your body, building a lot of context, not just telling you, hey, yours as medium, but maybe how does it fit at different body parts and, and really becoming kind of, I mean, if you compare it to the experience you have in an actual brick and mortar retail store, if you ask the shop assistant for help, he's not just uh, telling you, hey, your size medium and then leaves spread. Um, he would maybe also say, hey, this color looks good on you or are you considering your body shape? Maybe your hourglass body shape, this dress would be perfect and, and things like this and making it very personalized. Um, I mean, for 95% of shops, you still have this experience. You see the first product on the main page. You think, oh, this looks so great. You click on it and it's sold out in every size except extra, 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 extra large. And they show it to every user and 98% of users don't wear that size. And yeah, there's so much in towards personalization and visualization we're working on. So it's, it's very exciting. Would you call that recommender systems? Is that what it's called? I mean, the, what we're doing right now is also a recommender system because it recommends you the, the best size. Um, but yeah, these are also recommender systems like showing certain products based on the body shape or based on the body measurements or based on your historic orders and uh, things like that yeah how is that going though is it part of the model in the next year or so or is it something that's going to be take a bit of time so we already have um some r d projects with actual brands and customers um but it's i mean it's hard to define like when it's ready or done i mean it's kind of incremental like you know you make we we, we always try to build the things first that users and shops need or want or request the most and yeah, it would probably not be that one big bang launch where every you have everything and it will take you three years to get there. But we're always trying to put something in, out of out in the world every six months or so for the R and D projects. For the for the other delivery projects, of course, the cycles are more like two weeks. But yeah, there's some things are actually close to commercially available and others are more like the moonshots for five years. Now, nah, cool. So when it comes to the business side of hiring. So obviously you would be bringing in candidates. I'm guessing you play quite a large role in that, especially with the business side. So aside from the technical ability, uh, so obviously candidates will need to be technically up to standard to work for you because you are, you know, you're pushing the boundaries and you're setting a good standard, in, especially for a startup. So what, but besides technical abilities, what do you look for in your teams? So we spend a ton of time figuring out who in our case now it should be Preciser 39, right? It's just so important. Like, I mean, every founder says that, but it's just like, you are who you hire as a company, especially as a software company, especially as a computer vision and AI company. 
And so what we've learned is you need, you, we have very high technical requirements, but once you passed that threshold, um, it doesn't matter how good you are technically, if there's no personal and value fit, then it doesn't make sense, neither for precise to offer, nor for the candidate to work with in a culture that doesn't fit their personality. And some things we really pay attention to, for example, for engineers, do they actually understand and care about the actual impact of the product from a user and customer perspective? Understanding this picture. And that is especially for very, very technical, very, um, yeah, people who are very deep in the technology. And sometimes that's missing. And we just realize for the early hires, it's so important because they can make decisions on their own without having to talk to a generalist like me, you know, because they're also, they have this T profile. They're really deep into, I don't know, like one certain technology, but then they understand a little bit of everything as well. And that is very important to us. And I mean, also the other way around for salespeople, like we don't want salespeople who are just like, just about closing the deal and they don't care about what I promise to the customers if it's technically feasible. We want salespeople who have some understanding, some basic understanding of is this even remotely feasible or is this somehow on our R&D or uh, tech roadmap? Um, so that interdisciplinary, I think, is very, uh, very helpful. Um, and then I, th I would say proactiveness and, and ownership, like everything is moving so fast for Precise. I'm not willing or able to do micromanagement in the sense of, hey, um, now do this. I mean, if I would know that, I wouldn't have hired that person. So everyone we hire, is, you could say, is smarter than um, than the founders, um, at least in the in what they're doing. And it should be that way, I think. And they should proactively pitch, now we should do this. This makes so much sense from my technical expert exp perspective. And, um, you know, if I just roughly understand what the goal is or what how we could benefit from it, they can just, you know, work on that project and own it completely and bring it from like idea to millions of users in, in some weeks. And yeah, that mindset, especially if people worked in a bigger organization for a longer time, sometimes gets lost. And I think it's extremely powerful because many of the best ideas we, we put into our product come like probably most of them are not coming you know top down it's like the people who are working with it hands-on who have the best ideas and they need the empowerment and the confidence to bring them up and uh, yeah that is i think the other very important aspect i saw you hire an engineer from egypt the other day well sorry a post you did from the other day but it was about a year and a half ago you hired an engineer from egypt however it took him a year and a half to get here the actual post went quite viral I was one of the people that commented and liked it because I thought it was awesome. Why did you go above and beyond for this candidate? And why do you do that? Yeah, so that was a pretty crazy story. Like the visa process is completely broken for non-EU people to get to the EU or to Germany. It just took way too much time. And yeah, I think we we did a bit more than what the average employer would do to get uh, the candidate here. Like. <laughs> one and a half years of letters and phone calls and forums we had to fill and so on. But the thing is, you know, if you have very high standards on who you hire, once you actually found someone who fits, you have to do everything you can to make that person, I guess, happy or make them like help them to strive at your organization. And 
yeah some like many companies are not doing it like if you treat an employee as someone you can just replace oh yeah they don't get a visa it doesn't matter we just you know revoke our offer and try to find the next person this is not our mindset like and it's not like even it's not like you know because we are better humans or better leaders or something it just like also like just from an efficiency standpoint it makes so much sense like if you go through hundreds of applications and then you found that per that one person you're absolutely sure that they're the perfect fit it is worth it to struggle for one and a half years with the bureaucracy around it right because that person is just so meaningful to your company and yeah i think it like to be honest i just don't get why not every company is doing it that way i think it's probably if i mean then you just lower your standard and just hire someone else but i think that's a big mistake um what i'm seeing slightly more nowadays especially in the startup side of things you know international recruitment is becoming slightly more driven because prior to this i haven't been in the german industry for many many years but you know it's, it used to be quite tight knit in germany and then probably branched out a bit into europe but now hearing that you're going outside of the eu uh, and taking and giving those people opportunities because those guys are just as you know some even better than what we have here as well and it's all about integrating and mixing because what they do over there might be slightly better than what we do here in that part and vice versa so it's always good to mix and integrate and when i saw you post that i thought that was uh something to mention because it shows you it shines you in a really good light but not like as a selfish reason but it put, shows you that as a, as a company pre-size are willing to go above and on for their employees which is always what uh, a candidate would want to to see when trying to join a company like yours. I want to talk a bit about entrepreneurship. You were straight out of university. You're very different. You didn't necessarily go down the learning in business in terms of get a job in business consultancy. I don't know. You dive straight into it. So what, why did you want to be an entrepreneur and why did you do it so early? For me, it was about impact. I guess it's a bit of a cheesy answer, but like I've tried so many things. I've done research at some of the best universities in the world. You could think, you know, you're changing the world, but I didn't, you know, I produced a paper. It was read by 10 people and I spent six months of my life on it. That is exactly the opposite of what is rewarding for me. And um, I mean, everyone has these things that make like them happy at work and would make them get up early in the morning and looking forward to going to the office or working from home or wherever it is and maybe working a few over hours as well which you obviously do as a founder but that is i don't know like i've done like i've tried so many things and it's like just like this is what makes me happy like building things something tangible i'm not like my coding skills are not good enough to do it myself so i found people who are very good at it and then like bringing people to together to yeah build something tangible something if someone asks you hey what are you doing you can show them our app and tell them this is what i'm doing and you can use it and then you meet them again a year later and then they're like oh yeah i used it i bought a product it fits um it's great i i didn't have to return it like that's kind of these small things that i think extremely re rewarding as an entrepreneur and also, I mean, you have the chance to build the organization you want to work at, right? You take everything you didn't like in other places you worked and everything you liked and um, try to, you're kind of the architect of that, right? And that, I think that's also 
you can build your dream job. I mean, obviously, there are always some things which are where you have limited control over, but I think that is that is just so rewarding. And I think for me, there's no going back to a job where, you know, you just do some things because just someone says you have to do them and you don't even understand why or if there's any, if this is any use for anyone. And yeah, with what we are doing specifically, you always have this, it just makes sense from a time perspective for users. It makes so much sense from a sustainability standpoint for the planet and it makes so much sense commercially. And then, yeah, you just have a different drive, a different motivation. And um, also with all our early employees, I mean, everyone, all of the 38 people are early employees still. Like, it's just a different drive. The word entrepreneur is frowned on and everyone wants to be one. Uh, a vast majority. Something that's stressed because I understand, uh, I'm sure you're fully aware, it is very stressful to be in your shoes. But obviously, it's a word that's thrown around. And I take you know a lot of inspiration from what you've done to step out of university and then go for it. Don't get me wrong, your education will help you because you didn't just come out of school, for example, and just think, what do I want to do? You did it right you know, with your education. And one key thing I've learned from you is that you networked. Obviously, you met the right people. Uh, you all found that common interest and passion. And, you know, you use your, you play by your strengths. So you was the business entrepreneur. You know, you had that drive. You had that vision. And then you met the guys who had more technical capabilities. And together, you found the precise, which is really good to see. And I, I thoroughly can't wait to see you grow. But uh, one of the things that you, you you actually started really about it at a terrible time, because a year or so, or under a year later, you hit, was hit with COVID. How did you face this adversity? Yeah, that was um, not the ideal timing because we were in the middle of raising a financing round. And I mean, in hindsight, I think it was extremely, yeah. I mean, if you can say something like this about the disease, it was helpful for our business. But at the time, everyone was just in shock. Not so much us. I mean, we, you know, like we, we knew we will figure it out. We are pretty good at that. But all potential investors were like, okay, uh, we stopped doing anything, freeze. We have no idea how the world will change now. And we just do nothing for uh, I don't know, three months and three months in the startup world is an eternity. And it's it's weird because, you know, the fashion industry was hit super hard, obviously, with all the lockdowns and all the retail stores that had to close. But then e-commerce was going crazy through the roof. And we are in this, you know, fashion e-commerce. So we had this industry that is like the e-commerce revenues, I don't know, 5x during the lockdowns. But the brick and mortar retail revenue went to almost zero overnight. And then if you, you have some customers that are pure online players and they're like, you know, that's the best time they had and from like a commercial perspective. And then you have others who have like 95% of the revenue still in brick and mortar retail. And if they 10x their, the other 5% and lose the other, like the 95% offline revenue, it's still a horrible situation for them, right? So I went from one call where they were like, super happy to another call where a customer was like super devastated. Um, yeah, it was, it was interesting, but I think long-term it just gave this huge boost in terms of digitization, especially in Germany. I mean, it's even simple things like, you know, if you use Precise on desktop and you want to record the video, you can scan a QR code with your phone. Like 
before COVID, Germans didn't really like or understand QR codes that much. After COVID, everyone knows a QR code because you always had to use it in restaurants to check in or get the menu or to get your uh, vaccination kind of certificate and so on. And, you know, it's, I mean, that sounds like such a basic thing, but this actually had an impact. Like suddenly we had, I don't know, 10% more users because suddenly everyone knew how to use a QR code. And suddenly some of these old school fashion players understood, okay, the internet is not just a trend, you know, e-commerce is happening. And if you're not heavily investing here, you will lose out. And all these small performance-driven Shopify shops are the the big fashion players of tomorrow. Maybe not tomorrow, but in 10 years. And suddenly everyone wanted to invest in digital. And that is obviously very helpful for us. So uh, as a business pre-site, you was also on Lion's Den. Is that right? It's like the German version of our Dragon's Den in the UK. Uh, how did you get on there? Uh, that was, I would say, pure luck. They called me and said, hey, um, you want to join? And we were, were like, okay, uh, yeah. They were, I think, scouting, let's say, products that are tech, but at the same time, super obvious use case. So we were kind of lucky to just be in that kind of area because often the products on there are yeah, less technical, I would say. I think, they, I think we checked in Germany, I think we were just the second or third out of 10 seasons that uh, was B2B. It's always like B2C products, easy to explain, easy to understand and so on. Uh, so that was good. And then we didn't, and initially we were not sure, like, I mean, we were obviously very early stage. You have to do a live demo. There are things that could go wrong. We thought, okay, like, does it even help you as a B2B company? Is the CEO of Zalando really watching uh, Dragon's Den or Lion's Den? Um, but then we decided to do it and I, it was crazy. Like I would, I think we calculated around 10 million new pre-size from one day to another. Like we were on the, on the main page of the biggest newspaper here in Germany. Um, we got so many emails and messages. My elementary school teacher called me. I have, I didn't talk to her for like 20 years and was like, Oh, I saw you on TV. And uh, it was pretty crazy, but I mean, not so much. I mean, of course it's also nice kind of for your ego, but that was, the thing is like, it actually had a sustainable long-term impact on our business. Like we are in, in Germany. I mean, it's just in Germany, but here we are, you know, pe people know us. Like if you think about returns and sizing, people think of pre-size and our marketing department is one intern. Like we couldn't, I mean, this was like kind of, we could have never, you, we couldn't have bought this attention or eyeballs uh, in any other way. Yeah, look, uh, what you've done is crazy. It almost looks like a night success because how quickly you've grown, but we know that's not the truth. Have you won any awards as a business? Um, yes, um, in the early days, we participated in some. Uh, we have won the Bavarian Business Plan competition. So that was before we actually built a lot, like just like on the theoretic side. Uh, we won the, it's called German Startup Champ Award in 2020. Uh, the Bavarian Innovation Prize in the category of startups. So quite a few awards, but we we kind of stopped uh, participating because we noticed it's very nice, you know, you get press. and But the thing is, like, it's not real validation. The real validation is if customers and users like you. If some judges say, hey, this is great, it's also nice, but it doesn't really help you that much. Yeah, no, I understand that. Okay, well, look, I've, really, I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you, Leon. What you've done 
is not far spectacular. What you've done between you three founders uh, is very impressive. And I think a lot of people can take uh, some inspiration from what you've done. So um, I'd like to thank you, first of all, for joining me on the Deep Learning Crowd uh, podcast for the second episode you know i was really happy to have you here now i've got one question i'm gonna leave i leave with all of my my guests because i'm curious what you guys would do so if leon if you were stuck on a tropical island and you only can take three things with you what are you taking oh <laughs> i guess wi-fi yeah okay that it, it counts it counts there it does count <laughs> okay th- then i would i would take wi-fi then any device <laughs> that i can use while being in wi-fi like a phone um or a laptop and then i guess electricity <laughs> so the laptop doesn't die after like one day so you're saying you'll keep on grafting no matter where you are you'll keep on working <laughs> you'll keep on pushing pre-size even if you're on a truck yeah, I mean, it's like <laughs> i uh, my girlfriend always makes fun of me because like even in my free time i like just like to you know i mean it's not building necessarily in sense of like always building but just doing something productive um i really enjoy that and um but even outside of work like if i'm alone on the island i mean this way i could at least keep like the connection with some people that are not on the island right yeah yeah no wicked but look uh thank you so much for being here leon you know i look forward to seeing where what happens with Prince next and yeah we'll, we'll keep in touch keep networking but thank you yeah thank you thanks a lot for having me